0: Okay, I think it's starting. So, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Josetan Vaughan Bhargava is with us today in this first edition of the Culture Conversation. And she is a former journalist at NDTV who has worked for 15 years reporting on crime, sport, and entertainment. She is now an author, and the topic of today's conversation is this book, which has been getting rave reviews across the board, Stone Shamed and Depressed, which as the subtitle says is an explosive account of the secret lives of India's teens. Ma'am, what I first wanted to ask you was: were there any particular incidents, either personally or in public stories, that prompted you to sort of choose this topic to write about? Because it's very niche.
1: Yes it is uh, and firstly thanks thanks for speaking to me Karthik. I'm hoping that you know we'll reach a much uh, wider audience of your age. This is an age that is uh, particularly of interest to me actually because the kind of reactions that I've got from you know people of your age who are like uh, you know still in college or just finished college has been phenomenal actually and uh, you know the outpouring of uh, agreement in a sense that I've got from uh, people you know but sp- also in the early 20s it's been just Un, it's I mean, unbelievable. It's like, you know, it's like a sequel waiting to happen in a sense. But yeah, coming back to what, uh, you know, I've been writing articles on this for the last two, three years, uh, actually, before I started the research on the book. And uh, the trigger was uh, that my own daughter got bullied in school. And uh, 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 in a sense, a mix of body shaming and bullying, uh, but physically bullied. And, uh, you know, so I went back to uh, digging into that as to, you know, has, has nothing changed, you know? So I wrote my first article on bullying and then I started picking up more and more around what is going on with children uh, in terms of the fact there's body shaming. So I wrote about that. Then I talked about, you know, the normalization of the word rape in school corridors. And along with that, I think I was also noticing I have two kids, girls, and I was noticing that, you know, they around them kids who are six, seven, eight, they're all hanging around with a smartphone in the hand or they're all gifted an iPad. And, you know, so I was trying to actually in a sense uh, connect the dots, whether, you know, these kids who get an iPad or a, a gadget so early are the ones who eventually land up to becoming these headlines, you know, as I say about, you know, whether it's the Snapchat bullying incident or it's the boys' locker room, is there, you know, is there a, a connection? And I think lastly, of course, I I figured that, you know, this is a space with so much is coming out from, and yet we're not giving it the importance that it deserves. You know, even if we talk about, say, the boys' locker room, and, you know, we've, we've all read it was the top headline for two days, three days, but no one's talking about it anymore, right? And it doesn't mean, as I dug in deeper, to realize that it doesn't mean the issues have gone away. They're very much there. So my attempt has been to talk about things and bring out into a society that doesn't really, you know, look too much into what happens with our young ones, and to tell them that just because they're young, it doesn't mean that their issues are not big enough, you know. So it's been an attempt to bring that out, and I hope that you know someone out there takes notice.
0: And I find that. The kids you've talked to have been very open and forthright in telling you their stories, which kind of surprised me because I would imagine that it would be uh, sort of difficult to have them tell you things that are so personal to them because it's one thing for a kid to tell you what ghosting is, which is, you know, a particular term about what a certain vape trick or whatever is. But when they're actually telling you about the body shame experience they've gone to or what it feels like to be addicted to substances, how did you manage to achieve that connection with them?
1: No, I think I always say this, whenever somebody asks me this question, I always say that, you know, the is the biggest message that is, through my book, is the fact that, you know, that this is a lot that is craving conversations. And I I may have been a stranger to them, but the way they opened up their hearts and their souls to me has been phenomenal. Such intelligent, incredible children I have met. And by children, I mean, even in their early 20s, right, the children for me. But, uh, you know, such amazing children who have to... Uh, capacity to do so much who are also doing so much it's not like you know just just having weed and not doing anything else with his life he's doing such amazing stuff talking about drug awareness or you know there's activism on body shaming or you know so that you know I've been through so that somebody else doesn't go through it you know so they're they're creating awareness to a level that we when we were your age we could not even have thought about and I I think that's what that's the striking part of the book that so many of them came up to me opened up their hearts and I think even now when I'm doing you know when I'm doing the book promotions and if I, I had like a, an Instagram live so many so many of these young ones came up to me and the only question was that you know can you tell us how can we communicate with our parents how can we tell our parents that we have issues and I think uh, that's what we really that that's what the message of this book in a nutshell you know that I think communication is essential they're just waiting and I mean, if I, if they can open their hearts to me, I mean, imagine what they would do with their own families. They just, they want, see, I understand that, you know, generations may mm-hmm. fall I understand that. and But I think the, your generation and, you know, the younger ones, they're, they're different in the sense of their acceptance to old Indian traditional, you know, way of thinking is not the same as it was to us. Maybe, you know, a lot of us went along with the flow because we didn't have the kind of perhaps the exposure or the ability to stand up in a sense, right? I mean, and I think you have to give it to them that you know they don't want to go the same route and they want acceptance to that. And I think that's where the struggle is at home. Just because we didn't see these things doesn't mean that these things don't happen. And I think a lot of families have to accept that.
0: But when you were actually reaching out to like, what was the process like? uh, I know when I went through the sources, it was about WhatsApp interviews, Facebook interviews, Twitter interviews. So how did you manage to like get the first connection with these students to begin with
1: it's a you know Kartik, it's, a, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a network I, and i think like it's, it's a whole world that opened up for me frankly and i just and i started with children that i personally know and you know friends children personally really well so that i trust them you know i know that they're not going to be lying to them to me i've known them since they were kids and i spoke to them of the record in a sense that I spoke to them. I mean, the parents let them be. So it's not like I went through the parents. I told the parents I'm going to them, but I spoke to them separately. And it was extremely confidential. So even if they're like my closest friends' children, my closest friends do not know these conversations. My closest friends do not know which one of them is their child. It, it I had to respect that. I have, We have respected that, you know, and, and, and that's crucial when we're talking about minor especially. And I think we, so it started with, you know, children that I personally know, and then they just connected me and it just opened up. And, you know, to to give you an example, there was an incident that I talk about, and I'm not gonna talk about which one here. And three different children came up and told me about that incident, and from different schools, different parts of the country. So, so it makes you think that my God, the, the exposure, the way that news travels on social media, is just so scary for this lot, for your lot, you know. It's not something that is easy to cope. And hats off to that person, you know. I mean, that person was just unbelievable. He stood, he stood by what he said, and I think it was it, It's but. That, that's what I want to say that, you know, news, everything is out in the open. And uh, it's just that it's, they, they're, you know, they're waiting for someone to speak to them. It's, it's a, yeah, it, it's, it's it just a whole new world opened up for me, And actually easily, very, very easily also goes to show that, you know, uh, if somebody had come before me, they would have done the same.
0: And, and the thing that you just pointed out that, people reached out to you about a particular incident, I, I also found that when reading the book, some of the stories, even though names have been changed here and there, I vaguely could recollect, okay, I've heard of this two years back, I've heard of this happening three years ago, because I also went to a private school in Bangalore, and a lot of these stories were stories that I'd also heard. Of. But I'd say the difference, the big difference, and the thing that shocked me about this book was social media and the stories about social media, because I grew up in a generation that I'd say two, three years above this one, but the social media boom didn't really hit my age because. I only got Instagram when I was in college. Facebook was pretty much a joking app when we were in high school. Yeah. But now it's, it's, it's much different. It's so much different for these kids. And I even had a discussion with a teacher who told me that, you know, Karthik, for you, I'm eight years older, but it was very relatable. You, your batch was a lot like mine. But now the batch two years below suddenly seemed completely alien to me. Mm-hmm. So how much do you think that these social media apps have like skipped generations almost with these children? And forced Oh my God, to- like really how?
1: Like really how? And I keep, and even, uh, you know, my, my elder child, she's just at the cusp of being a teen, but she's not on social media. So she tries, you know, can I be on Instagram? And my answer is, you know, so what? No. You know, she's like, but I miss it, everyone's on it. And I keep telling her, I said, if you miss Instagram today, you know, two years later, there's going to be a new app. It's as quickly as that, the things are getting churned out. Like I quote, you know, in the book, I quote the creator of the deep nude app that went off. Right. And he says the very same thing. He said, it wasn't, if it wasn't me, it would be somebody else. That's how things are getting churned out so very quickly today. And, uh, it's, it's a different world for them, it is really. And uh, you know, the young ones, they, they don't know any other existence. It's very, very sad. Um, I, I have resisted the pressure. I have resisted the pressure of putting my kids on social media. And uh, you know they kept saying, and right now I'm in the UAE. So TikTok is not banned here but uh they you know they kept saying you know every every fr- all their friends the only thing they do over play dates is uh, you know they record tiktok videos there is just nothing else and I, to be honest, on a personal level, I loathe TikTok, okay? And uh, so one day, you know, my kids came and they were really upset because, you know, lost your size and you left out, right? And uh, they, they kept saying that, you know, nobody's, you know, you don't let us go on anything. At least let us be on TikTok. It's going to be a private thing. And, you know, so my husband said, okay, we'll open a private thing for now and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, you can only go to like the two friends or three friends or, you know, here. And so then they got upset and they said, okay, forget it, we don't want to use it, and it just lay dormant. Two days later, they came, and this is just a couple of weeks ago, Yeah, they came back and they said very quietly, they said, can you just delete our TikTok app? So I said, like, why, what, what's happened? And, you no, know, no, just delete it, so I let it be. In the evening, I, you know, I broached it up again, and so they told me, and they said, you know, these friends of ours, and these are friends. And again, they had private accounts, but you know, on on TikTok, apparently, uh, suicide was live streamed on a private TikTok account. And now we're talking ten-year-olds, eleven-year-olds. You know, it's a very hard world out there. They all want to be part of it, but I think it's our responsibility to tell them. You know, I, I don't think we can react post the event and I think a lot of like I, I saw now it, you know everybody's taken off the, the kids off TikTok but I don't think they needed to be there at 10 or 9 already right but that's the word and I think uh, unfortunately it, it's harder to not give it right now and there are very few people who would you know take that and uh, uh, because yeah, I mean they don't know anything else. They're born. They're born with a gadget. I mean, my 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 child is not on Instagram. But if I tell her, can you tell me about IGTV videos? She'll do it like this, you know. Or else, anything, anything. And online studying right now during COVID has pushed even me back by many steps. So it's very hard, but they don't know any other existence. And unfortunately, they're getting that smartphone in their hands so very early. And I frankly see the smartphone as the genesis of a lot of issues.
0: It's interesting you bring this up because you, in the book, a lot of the conversation is around peer pressure. But what I've noticed that's sort of implicit and what you've just brought out is there's a certain parental pressure to it as well that parents need to say that, oh, the other kids have the smartphone, the other kids have Instagram, the other kids have TikTok. So they feel obligated to give their kids that. Yeah. Now how would how would parents sort of break this? Like, how are they supposed to break the chain? and refuse? You know,
1: I phones? I I really, uh, to uh, give you another example, again, in the book, uh, you know, there's this mother of three sons and the eldest is, I think he's old, almost 16 and he doesn't have a phone. And, you know, the, the age of 12, 13, 14 was, awful. It was awful for him. It was awful for her because he was the only boy not having it. And uh, you know, but she persisted and she persisted and she had really bad moments, you know, feeling awful about herself and am I doing wrong? And But I think now at 16, now he turns around and he says, you know, I'm so very glad that you didn't give it to me because he's become like this most amazing guitar player, okay? And he's like, now if I saw what all the other kids were doing, I would never have gotten into this. So like I say, it's harder not to give in. And the, the bottom, like my husband always says, you know, if the cha- i get the challenges too, you know. It's it's like a dam that's waiting to burst in a sense, right? It, it's on us for how long we can just keep pushing that water in. And I actually feel that there's enormous difference, even of six months between like 14, 15, 13, 14, you know. So a child who's getting into social media at 11 versus somebody who's getting into 15, there is such a vast difference because challenges it from all over. And now we can't just say it's all happening in the Western world. We can't just say these predators ha- don't happen. You know, it's happening, it's happening through gaming, it's happening through social media, everything is happening here. So, you know, the older they are, the better, they're in a better frame to handle whatever comes their way. Is At least that's what I believe. They can't be completely off it, that's not an option. And I think the other way is to keep them busy. Unfortunately, COVID is, as I said, uh, you know, messed everything up. But, yeah, I've, I've written, I think I've written this book outside badminton courts and gymnastics uh, stadiums. That's how I've written the book. I know people go to the Himalayas to write, but I have written sitting on the floor outside a room five days a week. I could do it. I think many people can do it. It's just easier to give in. That's my point. And, it's, and we're, not, we're doing them a disservice because we're also giving in without, A, we're giving them unrestrained freedom. B, we're not telling them about cybersecurity because I don't think as parents we are really equipped ourselves to understand the ramifications right now. I think in our generation, for us also it's a new toy. And I say this even for myself, I'm not, I'm not the most tech savvy person, but unfortunately that's not good enough right now if we have children. I think as parents, we need to be more tech savvy. We need to be the ones telling our kids that, you know, these are the things that happen. This is how you can go around it. You know, these are the cyber safety norms that you must keep in mind. I think the older a child is, he would be better able to understand what goes on.
0: It's interesting. I mean, it's sort of the way you describe it that, you know, when you're, when your parents give you your first drink or something, they know what the danger of this is. And they sort of try and explain yeah. to you, what's wrong with this, but that, that, that couldn't happen over there because they don't, they they learned it after we did. And that seems to be the (laughs) problem. But that particular, like instances within social media that I found that I had no idea about, one was sad fishing, which was about when I think when kids are posting online to sort of garner sympathy when it may be a bit exaggerated, but I feel in a society where mental health is given almost no attention, how are we ever supposed to distinguish what an actual cry for help is versus what could be considered as sad fishing
1: yeah i find this extremely tricky very very tricky and uh you know even now when uh you know this whole sushant singh rajput is in a sense trying to you know focus a little bit again on mental health although we went around everything but mental health but you know in the last one month say there's been a little bit talk about mental health again <laughs> but again when you notice we're not talking about the young ones We just don't talk about the young ones. We're talking about mental health epidemic. We've been on these shows where we've discussed mental health. But again, it's been about the older generation. And that is really sad because I think this, you know, like I've written about, I think 15 to 19 is the age group where suicide is the biggest cause of death. And we're just not talking about it. If we're not talking about it, how are we going to teach our children? How are we going to help? Because we're not equipped, we're also not going to be able to understand the difference whether a child is shamming or whether a child genuinely needs help or whether, you know, we can handle that situation at home. We're not in that... not in that zone at all we're not even in starting point unfortunately things are so bad right now i feel like you know so many children came up and said that you know all i need is a counselor sometimes i don't want to speak to even my best friend but as a society we don't encourage that i don't know where to go schools again apart from sex education i think counseling needs to they need to up that game perhaps to an extent they have slightly but i think Simultaneously, the cases, the issues have gone up as well. So I think we're back to square one. But I think social media, uh, social media has just, you know, just exploded the mental health issue even more. And sacrificing, I feel, I feel like you know, these are children who have, you know, who, who then of course they don't know where to go offline. That they have to talk about their issues to strangers online, and then again, you know, it comes, it can come back to haunt them because. You know, young ones, they're not the most sensitive children. I mean, school school kids, we all know, you know, everyone's not... We're, perhaps even I wasn't, right? We're okay. We, we joke about, we make make we make fun of children. So what is going to happen? They're going to turn around and say, pagla you know, you know, you know, it's a problem. And that's the kind of thing that our society has normalized in a sense that, you know, it's also something that we're learning from our homes. And unfortunately, it all filters down. So I think this, this is something we really badly need to relook. It's that, it's that school. I think the training needs to start at school because if it's not happening in our society, I think this, I think children today are so you know, I'm smart enough to understand. Like, I can tell you the last couple of day, years, when my, my child has gone to school and come back during Diwali time I said, No, we're not bursting crackers, because that's the lesson they're learning in schools. They're learning that, you know, let's make it a green Diwali. They, they, they understand that was a tradition, but they, they said, No, we're not going to burst, which is why I feel that, you know, if schools could just up the game, there's just so much of a difference they can make now.
0: I find with that, the thing where I see schools struggling the most, this is from conversations with my former teachers, is when you had also brought up sexting, which is when students are sort of sending each other naked pictures without really understanding the ramifications of those. Now, as someone who is working within a school, how are they supposed to, like, jurisdict this matter? Because they, it, it would be awkward or weird for them to sort of invade a student's privacy by looking at their social media profiles. And it's even stranger for them to broach this topic because then the parents will be like, why are you teaching us our kids about stuff that they are obviously doing, but they don't want the school to say that the students are doing this.
1: Yeah, it's very tricky. I, 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 I'm not putting everything on the schools, mind you, because you know, uh, while I think that sex education and uh, we need to up the game, we need to talk about consent a lot more, and of course, counselling. There are certain other ways in which the schools and educational institutions' their hands are tied because you know, parents have become that playground politics, as I talk about. You know, parents who get into everything that involves their children without letting their children figure it out. So what that is doing is when they, when, when parents keep standing up in the school, it puts the school authorities on the back foot. So, you know, now there are so many school principals have told me that they're actually worried they don't want to get into this mess with parents because they said that if you bring it up with the parents, what happens is the parents get aggressive, they don't believe us, and then you know it just leaves a, leaves a really ba- bad taste in the mouth. So, we just so a lot of these schools are now just preferring to keep things calm, you know, they don't want to <laughs> bell the cat in a way. And, and unfortunately, it's, it, it's tricky, right? I mean, how do you handle minor consent? How do you deal with stuff like that? So there, there, there are a lot of things that we really need to look into. But I think consent, talking consent in itself is is a priority as a society. We don't, we haven't spoken about it. We don't speak about it. Consent, you know, misogyny. These are issues that are. I mean, you see it in the boys' locker room. You've seen it in the Mumbai WhatsApp case. What, what's going on? I mean, you know, why are people, children who have everything on the platter, talking like this? It's obviously coming from a society that allows them to speak like this. That does not take enough, you know, enough action against those who speak like this. And It's been the way forever. And unfortunately, I think we're at crossroads now. This generation is saying, we're not happy with the way things are. And I think it's up to the older generations to understand that and try and, you know, say that, okay, this is how we've been, but just because it's been like this traditionally does not always make it right.
0: There is this, another prevailing trend is that there's a sort of a dissonance between this younger generation who have adopted a more progressive Western yes. set of values towards their parents who are still stuck in a more conservative mindset. But I, I feel another big thing about mental health that I want to discuss was something that I think India does discuss about mental health is mental health with regard to examinations and cutoffs. You know, there are plenty of movies, whether it's Three Idiots or Chichori, that discuss the ramifications of mental health when it comes to, you know, setting unrealistic uh, expectations on children. And in one part of the book, I think the kid's name was Ritika, who you discussed where she had achieved in 97, but that still wasn't enough for her. And you'd also gone on to say that the expectations weren't even set by her parents, but by herself as well. And even when I'm talking to kids these days, they're telling me that, you know, it's not our parents who are doing this. We want to be at that level and anything lesser than that is a failure on their part. So how do we sort of tell these kids that it's okay to, uh, you know, not be a hundred on hundred student?
1: Yeah, I think I think this is this is coming from that whole thing of everything is so instant in this generation. You no, know? whether it's instant gratification, it's quick validity validation. Everything is. It needs to be the very best as they see it. It may, you know, it it may not be the it may not be the best as we see it. I mean, I I, I tell my child every time I say, please don't get that hundred percent. I do not want to see a hundred percent here. But I still know that I'm still I'm still a minority because you know even whatever the kids say that they want to do it for themselves, the the board exam results this time and my Facebook was flooded with parents who were talking about their children getting 95 plus. I cannot tell you, I went off Facebook because I couldn't hack it. And so that unknowingly, that pressure does come in you know, because they're anyway dealing with the peer pressure from social media, where, you know, you've all got to be popular, like, you know, if you don't get that 97%, you're going to pop in some pills, or you don't get into the student council, you're going to pop in some pills, or, you know, if you don't look pretty, you're going to drink some phenyle. The pressure in everyday life is, in any case, so much. I mean, I talk about that child, you know, who taught the school boards, uh, I think, in his school, and after that, you know his his brothers don't speak to him because they feel like he's up the game and that pressure. He 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 he's he's considered the nerd. So so this b- word nerd, I am sure you have heard of it. You know, I mean, I, I went to a friend, uh, you know, a friend's house and their daughter's room had this thing saying "nerds not allowed." What are we doing? I mean, I mean, you know. We, we, we just, we've just classified in, people into, and I think this is all the pressure that actually comes to us. I mean, why must we always win the spelling bee, Yeah, You tell me why? Again, another Indian. I mean, let it go. Just let it go. But we don't know how to let it go. And unfortunately, I really believe that the children are learning from us. I don't think it's just themselves. I think this is how they're brought up. They, they, this is the expectations that come even from well well-off families, they're expected to do well to even to even take over the family business or to go to university abroad. You know, so the expectations are there for everybody, whether you know you're higher level, lower level, middle level, the expectations, they're different expectations. I think for a lower middle level, the expectations are more aspirational. You want them to, you know, get into something that you you couldn't do in your time, be that engineer, be that doctor, or even go into reality shows and be famous, you know, that that's the, those reality shows with kids dancing, singing, that's middle class India, frankly. So I think, I mean, the, the expectations
0: are all around us Karthik. Oh, another thing that really shocked me was something that I feel might be a bit of a minority, and that is the toy room incident and plastic surgery. So I was just wondering, was the sample size, for, I mean, obviously the sample size for this had to be a very elite minority of students who come from Uber wealthy families, but two parts. Then, in general, were the people you were talking to coming from a very privileged background? Was it an even mix? Or and secondly, with regard to those two particular incidents, where were the? That seems like a an instance of parental failure, or like at least to me, because how are kids being allowed to get a lack to drop at a club or a lack to you know augment a certain part of their body without with the parents' approval?
1: Yeah, so no, uh, you know, I have actually spoken to children who go to good schools, but I'm not talking, you know, like uh, top of the line. There's, these are the good schools of today. So, you know, these are average kids whose parents, you know, double income parents who, who yeah, we, we've all got gadgets in our house, right? I mean, but it doesn't mean that they're traveling by a private jet. And uh, so it's that kind of children. And even even when it comes to, you know, uh, plastic surgery and all, a lot of them are uh, normal kids. But again, that whole thing of being something else on social media, you, you're pestering your family to give in and you know, then they just say, okay, it's just, you know, you go to your parents and it's just one time 10,000, but it's never a one time 10,000, right? It, 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 you come back six months later, one year later, and it just, it, it, it becomes a process. But a lot of these fa- families are giving in, either they're giving in because, you know, they've gotten fed up, of that constant pressure, you know, please, 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 and at some point you just give it, or they're just giving in as, a, like I say, they're aspirational. The toy room incident though is a little different in the sense that, again, that these are batches of children. So like I said, you know, even in the book, if one has money, that one person will take five people along. And these five people will then go and then, you know, and there are other ways to augment that money, right? You are betting in the matches, you are hacking into accounts, you are selling those accounts very, very big. So you're selling accounts and earning money. And then you're getting, and if four people are doing that, you have an enormous kitty, whether it is to go out drinking or whether it is to do drugs. Very, very different ways of earning money these days, Karthik.
0: I mean, that doesn't always have
1: to be
0: the parents. The level of ingenuity itself is impressive. Oh, yes. I, mean, it, you, <laughs> I think is. there's a tendency maybe to downplay just how smart kids are when they're 15 to 18 years old. You know, these people are the ones who are constantly finding more loopholes, more ways to break rules. But yes. um, some, another thing that I felt that um, I personally had a bit of a issue with was the part of the book when you were discussing hip hop culture. And I know that there was uh, hip hop culture. Yes. Yeah, so I know that there was a, uh, you made a reference to Kendrick Lamar, Pulitzer Prize-winning artist. And I also love the pun at the end when you said that we should we should do our 50 cent to keep, uh, keep an eye. But I feel that the problem over here, would you say that it's more on the condition these kids find themselves in as opposed to the culture itself? Because throughout like the past 50 years of popular music, popular musicians have always been, you know, indulging in drugs, glorifying sex, glorifying, you know, things that we consider vices. But is it really fair to attribute hip-hop as something uniquely problematic that our children are now latching on to?
1: No, you're right. Uh, let me tell you, I'm a big fan of hip-hop culture, okay? Big, big fan. Like, I always, my younger one learns hip-hop, okay? my um, she, she, she takes classes in hip-hop dancing. And I always say that if in my time there were hip hop classes, I would have taken them as well. Uh, So yeah, I, I think that this generation has not understood hip hop. You know, they've taken it at a superficial level, and they've taken what they want from it. And, you know, it's the bling, it's the good life, it's, you know, it's the abusive words, you know, to, it's the coolness of it that they've taken, but they've not really gone into the depth of it. But uh, but they really do swear by it. They swear <laughs> literally and figuratively by it, you know? So yeah, no, I do agree with you. I think that they, they think that this is the way they should be. This is how it's supposed to be. It's cool, you know, let's get on with it. And, and you know the and then the money thing it, it 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 you know it attracts them to have lots of money that you know that very the big party culture it's very them it's very them and I think that's that's what I say it's, perhaps it's not the culture it's just the superficial level of the kind of hip hop that they want to take out of it versus what really is it is all about. so when and you they tell me, you know, you don't understand culture. I like, you know, you'd be shocked to no, know I do. I really do. And it, it wasn't invented yesterday, right? So, uh, but, but, you know, this is their take on it. It's very different.
0: It's interesting you say that. So what I'm getting there is that these children, when you ask them about their aspirations, did they, was wealth something that really fascinated them? Was that something that most of these kids sort of aspired to do in life or achieve in life? Just this idea of being wealthy this idea of being able to throw lavish parties and wear fashionable clothes and you know that lifestyle
1: you know i'm a bit worried because i think this generation has just has so much potential so much potential but you know like we always joke about the millennials and say you know the millennials are not gonna get a a, a, a job like I got for 15 years, and that they're just going to perpetually rent a house. I mean, I've got nephews who are almost millennials, and you know, they still haven't learned how to drive a car because you know, um, well, when we need a car, we'll just Uber it, right? And I keep wondering. I mean, if this is one step worse, and you know, with, with so much potential, are you just going to let things be? And that's that's the worrying part of it. But I think again, it it falls back on us as to how, as adults, we can harness it for them and you know, show them the way because there's just, they're just unbelievably talented people out there doing so much with their lives. If they can just get it right. It's just that, you know, the most talented person will also be smoking weed simultaneously. You know, so there's like a dichotomy happening here because, you know, and they say, and they get that, you know, I mean, the most, the person who's a front bencher would also be smoking up just like the back bencher there no there's no you know division like in our time so that's you know that's the good boy of the class and that's the bad girl of the class kind of scene so it's really hard and i think you know they, they their struggle is to be accepted as they are and i think a lot of issues would get sorted if we give them that little leeway, I'm not saying too much because I think uh, we need to push back as well, Uh, but I think that that little acceptance that we don't want to be what our parents were. We don't want to blindly follow traditions and customs. And yes, I mean a very, very, uh, you know, uh, sexual A sexually permissible um, generation in a sense that, you know, uh, again, peer pressure though comes in a Mm -hmm. lot that, you know, we don't want to, uh, we want to lose our virginity because, uh, you know, it's the cool thing to do. So it's very hard keeping them sane as well. I think, you know, a lot of counselors say that, you know, they're, they're getting attacked from many, many sides right now. The peer pressure is unbelievable. It's nothing like we've ever seen in our times, which is why it's hard for us to understand. But I think baby steps, if we, if we understand that, you know, we've got to give in a little bit more, but, you know, without them noticing that we're also taking in a little bit back. I think that is a way forward. But to blindly say that all of these things don't happen, and I've seen so much of it while researching this book. Karthik, I, I mean, I've gone to relatives. I've I've been on a let me, I've been on a Zoom call with my extended family, and when the first thing they did was they asked me what is the book about, you know. And my kids brought up the book, and they said, you know, my younger ones like it's about storm chain depressed, and it's about sex and everything that's been dropped silence. And I I mean, my cousins who are living you know in Singapore and the US and this oh let's not talk about it let's not talk about it we don't want to talk about it we don't want and you know hands like this and these are educated people right i mean i go to somebody else and i said i believe there was a you know a case in your school in your kid's school where you know a couple was asked to leave because they were found to be intimate and her instinctive reaction was, oh no no let's not talk about it these are controversial things And these are just two out of the many similar reactions i've got we are not helping our children if we keep you know, if we sit up like an ostrich, honestly speaking, we cannot. The times are very different, the times are very hard. It's very hard being a parent as well, you know, but this blind thing of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to a, a you know, a, a mother and I said, your child is in class 12 of a school where the principal has told me that every child is weeping in class 12. And I said, so, uh, you know, does that child know about weeping? I should not ask her, does that child weep? I said, does your child know about weeping? No, not at all. What are you saying? My child has no idea. And I said, why don't you ask him? No, not at all. He has no clue. And, you know, a friend of mine, she said, another friend, and I said, listen, can I speak? She said, of course, and she's very open, so she knows what's going on. And she says, you know, I won't say it. You ask him. And I... Called him and he was having coke. He's uh, you know in class tenth and he was having coke. And I said, listen, hey, you, come here, do you know what we're doing? And that coke went all over the room because you know uh, he did not expect that question coming from auntie, right? And they don't know. So to think that they don't know whether they're involved or not is a different ball game. Everybody knows what's going on, and to think and pretend otherwise is doing them a great disservice right now. Really.
0: You know, very complicated. You know, I felt that a lot of times, even in schools that are supposedly very, you know, uh, progressive privileged schools that are supposed to get your kids into good colleges, there's a sentiment where the principal and the teachers gear you towards what they think you're going to be good at. But there's never the question asked by them towards the child as to what they want to do or, you know, what where do your interests really lie? What do you see yourself doing? It's always, oh, you seem to be getting a 96 in math ICSE. I think you should do ISC math and do the same thing. So I was just wondering in your conversations with these kids, did they ever tell you or did you ever ask them where they want to be in life? Like, what do they see their future as? And I know it's hard for kids to obviously think about college and post-college life, but just if there was any visualization of that.
1: No, but it's true. I, I, I totally agree with you, because it's a sense I get even not just from schools, but I get it from families as well that, you know, you're telling your child that you must come first in class, but do you even understand whether that child has the ability to score that much or not? It's immaterial, you know, it's immaterial because you, you need to get your child to get that 90. I mean, they say about 100% cut off in three subjects. And also, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Our system, there is just, it's coming from everywhere. Right, I mean, it's, uh, CBS. i I put a lot on C B S. Yeah, how, uh, what kind of marking is it that when you're getting hundred percent in English literature? I've done English literature, right? I know, and I'm just, I'm amazed a at how. So it's, it's it's a combination. It's, it's families, it's society, it's schools. We're all together. We have not never understood where the kids are coming from. You know, as I say in my book, a kid may want to sing, but you send them to dance, right? Because that's what you want them to do. Have we ever asked our children what they want to do? And I think that a lot of them told me, you know, that this is not what we want to do. I mean, they talk about this, you know, using drugs as an experience enhancer for everything. And I questioned this child who at 13 was having marijuana, you know, and I said, so what is it that you need to go to the movies and have, why do you need to have marijuana as an experience enhancer? Why is it that the movies are just not good enough? And you know, the answer was like most of us do this because there's a void inside us. And I I found that a little telling, you know, that none of us would delve into these issues if we didn't feel that there was something missing. And I think something missing is where we need to sit back as families, as society, as parents and wonder why are we pushing them? I think there's a little bit of a trend, but it's that occasion in 30 students it'll be that one parent who will say, I don't care if my child got a 66%. But I think generally, like I said, you know, after the birth, 95, 97, so excited. My child has done it. Did your child want to do it? We've never asked them. Does your child not want to maybe do art? you know, you're going to send them into science. So many children, I mean, so many people in my generation, Karthik, I see like a course direction now, you know, CAs oh. who just left their jobs, who've now gone into farming. I've got my own cousin. I mean, he had a, he has a massive, you know, CA firm. He's quitting everything and he's going off to Canada because his daughter is going to red school. And, you know, he said, I'm just going to open a farm again. And this is not the only person who's opened a farm, you know. So many people who've left it, become artists, you know, left their good MBA jobs.
0: We never asked. It's, I, I feel like the, the point you brought up earlier, that it's a sense of fulfillment that's missing. And I think that they feel a certain gratification when, you know, the Instagram post gets 200 likes or something, when, you know, they start to get a boost of Twitter followers. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, do you think that parents and schools are not providing students with, you know, sufficient areas or avenues where they can actually feel like they have fulfilled something? Because oftentimes, you know, winning a tournament, that, that doesn't do it for them, you know, it's, it's the Instagram post, it's what's most important, but for instance, when we were in school, you know, it was, everything was geared towards, okay, are we going to win this next cricket tournament? Are we going to win yes. this next there was, there was some aspiration towards, you know, goals, tangible goals that we set. Do you think that, that, that uh, schools are not valuing that as much anymore?
1: I don't know, did do they even, you know, I think I think schools are also stuck in a bind, you know, they, they, they're they also trying very hard to, it's very, it's, not, I'm telling you this generation, the parents are not easy to handle the schools as well. So, you know, wh- where can they go from here? I, I mean, if they say something that is not going as per school issues, then, you know, the, school, the, the parents are at the gates, where do they go from here? I think it's it's very tricky for schools as well. I think, uh, you know, I can give you an example. I mean, when we're talking about how things have changed, or my, so my kids, uh, they've been very sporty. I've you know, made sure that they were really sporty. We, we, we were sporty as kids, and I've encouraged that. So uh, they were, as I said, they, they played badminton and, you know, uh, pretty decently, school team and everything. And, uh, you know, now, and uh, gymnastics. And now, because of the COVID, they both love dancing. So, you know, they, they do a lot of uh, dancing mixed with gymnastics. And I, uh, you know, they were talking to me and they said something. So, if it's between, uh, you know, what would you tell me to do? Because I was telling her that, you know, one of the courts is opened and now, since you're 12, you can go. And uh, so she said, Well, you're not sending me for gymnastics because when I asked you, Can I go gymnastics? Uh, dance is also opened. Sorry. Can I go there? You said, No. So, my thinking was, you know, badminton court is just the two people playing. It's a big place, you know, it's a small thing. But she again took it as your imposing your views on me. I prefer dancing now to badminton. Why are you forcing me? And I I'd, I'd immediately step back because yes, I mean, you've got to let them be, but you know, but I think sports is very, uh, you know, I think there are people who are interested in sports. I think it also comes from uh, uh, again their families. You know, if you play, if you if you're sporty, you will your children will automatically get there. But again, like kids that I've spoken with who said you know they were playing soccer and you know they were very interested in their football football team or you know horse riding team and then you know they realized they had no friends and because nobody else was doing it, so what did they do? They go into doing what everybody else is doing, which is gaming or you know sitting inside on social media, and then it it's it's that the balance is just very hard on you as a kid has. Kids have to be very strong mentally themselves right now. They have to be able to take it you know from all directions. But I think that it's worth it because when like you know the boy who learned the guitar you know at sixteen if if I mean I remember my times if you you know the thrill of winning a tournament there's nothing like it. And I've seen my, you know, my kids when they were playing tournaments and winning a match, it was, I mean, that they forgot everything else under the sun. And I think, I think it still holds true. But I think we're just not, we as, you know, we, we adults are also so into our own lives and maybe social media is so interesting for us as well that we forget to, you know, show them
0: options. I feel gaming is an interesting topic in that sense, because it does provide them a sense of fulfillment right because if they win the game then you know there obviously is that immediate gratification but it also provides them a sense of detachment because people who are socially isolated you know they find a home through this virtual world with other people or with whatever random gaming community they manage to find and i think there are ways that gaming as an industry as well is growing and you know people are actually starting to prioritize electronic sports as a viable industry do you think there's a way for parents to sort of moderate this onto their children? Because there is obviously, as you mentioned, there was one case that actually was almost satirical to me, which I think there was a nine year old child who was playing Fortnite and he started to have nightmares and dreams after that. So there, there obviously are these extreme cases, but... You- yeah,
1: and I personally know that child really, really well. Really, really well. Like my, my, clo- one of my closest friends, sons actually, so, you know, uh, yeah, and, um, it's happening all around. And I think, and, and, and again, I say, you know, and, and she's somebody who's really on the ball, but again, that was the pure pressure of his playing because, you know, everybody's playing. So, you know, she let it be, but otherwise, you know, she's somebody who's always around the children. What are you doing? What are you watching, you know? And uh, so I I think, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've, I've, I've spoken about other people, you know, who play in moderation and I think it can be done again. again. You can't take it away and you shouldn't. It's not, I mean, I, my kids play, um, I let them be once a week till they push you to twice salary. You know, I'm, not, I'm okay, okay. Ticket, they're happy with the once a week, half an hour, and i play a game. Okay. I mean it's it's not a complete no-no. We cannot be, it cannot be. We cannot take them out of their comfort zone. But again, we have to be really careful. We have to know what's going on. I mean, again, the same parents they don't know what grooming is. I mean, they're like, but we know grooming is you know, what is here? Isn't it about turning out well? I mean, like, you know. So if we don't know what's going on how are we going to help our children if we don't understand that you know that leaving your mic open is leaving it open to many other issues or you know stuff like that that they're just giving is i'll be honest you know i wrote it as my final chapter karthik but uh and because i thought it would be possibly the lamest of the lot, and you know and i finished it and i think my editor and i said whoa you know this one is the most uh, misunderstood or just underestimated of the issues. I think the other ones, we're still aware that, you know, things could happen, or at least they happen in the Western world, so to speak. But here, nobody understands, everybody thinks, oh, I'm just playing on Fortnite, my kids just playing PUBG, Children. It's very, very big here now. It's it's, 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 it's on a rise, and uh, unfortunately, we don't understand half of it. Yeah,
0: it's very easy to get lost issues. into it, because it's sort of like the social dilemma itself, that I think video gaming yes. occupies a similar yeah. space that it sucks you in. But I uh, think yeah. a lot of the issues in this book could be summed down to larger societal issues, parental issues, you know, our cultural issues that have sort of tickled down to kids who are now at edge or at war with them. But I think one yeah. thing that is problematic within youth culture that I personally saw in my high school and in a lot of other private schools is that there's a certain trend where apathy is seen as something cool and aspirational. But the coolest people in school are the ones who shun you for trying, the ones who don't do anything. Per se, is that, was that a trend that you could identify as well?
1: Yeah, I think apathy is very, very big, very, very big. Apathy and aggressiveness, uh, both, um, very big. And uh, you know, I I I question them and I say why, you know, and also along with it, angst, so much angst. And I think I asked every single child that I met, why is there so much angst in your generation? I don't understand. I mean, you know, I've tried to understand you, I've tried to do right by you, but I don't understand this angst of, you know, the world is against us, it's constantly against us. So let us, you know, just slit our wrists or let us overdose. And it's so casual, self-harm is just so casual that it's shocking, right? But yeah, the, otherwise there's this complete apathy. Nobody is anybody's friend, you know, and the irony, right? You you have, you, you're making so many followers. I've got this many, you know, I've got that key thing against my Insta followers. And yet you don't have a real friend. You 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 don't have people that you can actually have face-to-face conversations with because this generation is not doing it. Everything is behind that anonymity. You know, it lets them be whatever they want to be. And they, they're, in a sense, living it up and I think that's the scary part because they don't know where to take it and where it will take them. Um, this aggressiveness that is coming out because people I personally know you know again 13 year olds that you the police has been called you know somebody's reported them to the police it's that bad and this is the generation that is just you know I don't understand. You've been given everything. So uh, they're really on edge. But again, like I said, if you're giving them that gadget at six, seven to try and take it away at the age of 12, 13, it's not going to work. It doesn't. And a lot, and a lot of intimate parents are trying to do that. That, I think, is one of the biggest mistakes we're making now. We've given it in because it was easy. Taking it back is very, very tough. Very, very tough. They're used to it. Now it is the way of living. It is it is who they are, whether you know whether they are hiding behind the anonymity or whether they are playing who they are, whether they're cyber bullying, sexual bullying, hacking. So much is going on, just so much is going on, and, and there are pros at it. Unfortunately, you
0: know. Yeah, I know. I, have, I know you've mentioned that this is not a parenting book, and that your goal with this book is to sort of show a mirror and expose the real what is happening with our youth today. But if you had to. If you were compelled to say that, uh, because of all the teachers you've managed to do and accumulate, if you had any prescriptions for parents now to sort of, you know, break down their kids to help them understand how to better connect with them, to better understand what social media is, and understand how to, you know, stop bullying, to give their kids some sense of fulfillment, all these various issues.
1: You know, I have, yeah, it okay. So these are. <laughs> this is completely my personal view, right? Uh, Firstly, uh, conversations, Uh, conversations, 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 you have to have as many conversations as you possibly can with your children. Open it up. You know, communication to me is the key. And I think this this generation between the parents and you know and the children there is lots less, less conversation. Whether you know they're sitting on the dining table, someone's got a gadget, someone's watching TV, or whether you know everyone is tired. We're all tired. You know, everyone is running. I get that, but I think we don't have a choice. Firstly, I think we have to open it up. And then we have to normalize the existence of things. We have to normalize that things happen around us so that we can demystify them. We can take away the stigma, we can, you know, take away the taboo from it and allow children to understand that just because things happen doesn't mean that we have to get involved with them. To give you an example, you know, my I've been very open in my house. We've been very open. Everything is discussed. You know, my kids, my younger ones, just eight, but the book. It was an open book you know but uh, so for my elder one i think in class six when you know there was a weeping case that happened and she came and she said you know three boys have been asked to uh, go and leave because they were caught whipping it's not like she came and she was shocked or she was you know she kept uh, she's asking me what is weeping or she's quickly you know behind us uh, our backs going on to the internet to find what is weeping. she knew everything because we had normalized it we had Normalizes she understands that weeping happens, that kids do weeping, that it's not the right thing to do it depends. You know, I mean, we're too young. There's a time and age for everything, perhaps, right? I mean, she may do it later, but she understands right now, these things happen. We just go around them. We understand they happen. We don't have to get involved, you know. And I think the other thing is to learn to say no. I think no is uh, very very important. I think we don't say enough of it, and I've said that again in my book, where you know Steve Jobs says that you know, unfortunately, you piss off a lot of people when you say no, but you've got to say no. We don't. We we give that. Why else have we given that gadget at the age of you know five six? We could have said no. We don't say it. So I think to me these these are the answers, and like I said, keep pushing your child don't have to give social media at the age of 10, 11. There's absolutely no need. There's really nothing they're missing. But you've got to balance it out. A little bit of gaming, or maybe, you know, it, it's tricky. We've got to be there, you know, we've got to give them more attention, and it's exhausting. But I think in the longer run, that's what works.
0: Yeah, I mean, the more and more I, did, I read the book, the more and more I was grateful that my parents used to say no a lot. And uh... they did? <laughs> I think they did
1: well then. Uh,
0: but no, but yeah. It's, uh, th- there's a lot to learn from this book, I think. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to us. It's available online and I would encourage everyone who is e- even my age to go out and buy this book because there's so many things that I had no idea about before I read it, that I'm now learning about after reading it. And I thought I knew everything about youth today. So just before we end, is there anything you'd like to say to your fans, publishers, anyone?
1: No, I'm, I'm really, to my my publishers, for their greatest support, and, you know, my editor, she's been phenomenal. You know, anybody who has her, they'll be blessed, because, I mean, that that's, uh, I've worked, <laughs> worked in the media for a very long time, so I know, I've met all kinds of bosses. So Unfortunately, I've had two amazing bosses as well, so, you know, I, I started off with the right boss, uh, Kumita She was my uh, boss when I first started working, my first job in BITV. She now was, um, she's very senior in uh and in Deutsche Welle, and then Pranoy was, you know, the most amazing person that you can possibly work under, and uh, you know, still so encouraging. It's been a while since you know I've gone off, but um, the kind of support I've got from you know my my friends from NDTV, it's been unbelievable. So I think, you know. Uh, yeah, go along, go with what, what makes you happy. I've, I've changed a lot, you know. I, start, my, I, I So I come from like, I'm a fourth generation journalist, okay? And uh, three generations before me, everyone was a print journalist. Everybody else uh, was a print uh, journalist. And so I was very clear that, you know, I'm going to go into print. And at the age of 17 is when I wrote my first article. And I, I wrote it. Hard say. And I put it in an envelope, and I wrote it, sent it to the editor. I think it was the the Hindustan Times, and I just sent it. And. I forgot about it and my grandfather came running one day and it had made the middle of the newspaper okay okay a so piece I wrote on I, I lived through militancy in Punjab so it was something else it was scary to me and I wrote it so I thought okay this is my thing in 17 and then I finished college and I said okay but you know everyone's yeah uh, TV was just coming up and you know TV was paying more than uh, print was so I said okay, oh, let's give it a shot and so I've taken like a 15-year detour to come back to writing. <laughs> and I enjoyed every bit of it I've done. I've done print, I've done TV. I helped launch a digital news startup. So I've pretty much seen it all. And I think, you know, we're not too old changing and, you know, go with what works for you. I think uh, there are no hard and fast rules. No one's, I mean, we're, we're all young. <laughs> we're all old, we're all the same. I think, you know, it makes no difference. I mean, there's so many young people, everybody keeps telling me that are coming into our uh, media line. But, uh, I'm fine, you know. Be confident in your space, and now I've written a book, and at the age of 47. So, you know, I mean, yeah, something new maybe at the age of 48, 49. You know, keep going with it, and you know, whatever, whatever makes you happy, whatever actually is self-fulfilling. That's very important, you know. And yeah, so I was uh, in, you know, if the, if the book came at the right time for me because I was, uh, uh, you know, wondering what where to go from here and uh, so i think it's it's opened up for me and i'm i'm really glad i wrote it but more importantly i hope that you know it like i said i hope it allows people to uh, make an informed choice going forward that that's the idea behind it i mean i'm no one to give anybody my opinion on how they should bring up their children but uh, it's 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 been an attempt to you know show show you the mirror show the society a mirror and you know take it forward from there, because I think there are conversations that are desperately needed to be had, whether it's drugs or mental health, and mental health, my God, we really need to start talking about mental health in, you know, teenagers and early twenties. And yeah. these are issues that are, you know, I hope now that I can take it forward in a sense and, you know, start these conversations on another platform. So let's see how it goes.
0: Yep. thank you so much. I mean, there's a lot of valuable insights into this book for people of all ages, I would say so. I hope everyone goes out and gets a copy thank yes, you so much please James. do <laughs>